afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? Hello and welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Wojak. Luke Smith is here with me. As always, and today, we have our very last game preview of the 2022 season. That's sad to say, uh, because even though the season has been a little bit disappointing overall, it still sucks knowing we won't get to watch Notre Dame football for, yeah, eight months. Wow, that's a long time. I always forget how short the college football season is compared to the offseason. But to close it out, the Irish are set to take on the South Carolina Gamecocks on Friday in the Gator Bowl at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. It should be a beautiful day in Jacksonville, Florida. I think the forecast right now is 75 and sunny for the game. And the only reason I really bring that up is because, Luke, as you know, I was just in Florida for Christmas. I was there from the 23rd to the 27th. Do you know what the temperature was in Sarasota? Uh, I'm going to guess somewhere between 37 and 45 degrees. That was spot on. That's exactly what it was. And we golfed. Uh, my dad and I did with uh, some family friends the day after Christmas. It was the coldest round of golf I've ever played in Florida. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no <laughs> se- How was your Christmas while we're on? The- uh, it so the feels like was minus thirty six outside. Um, <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. Um, weirdly, now it's like forty five degrees, and it's going to be in the fifties the next couple of days here in Chicago. So I don't know what's going on, but uh, Christmas itself, I. I there was not a whole lot of leaving the house. Um, thankfully, we were hosting, so we didn't really have to leave the house. But it was good. But yes, it was it was brutally, brutally cold with some snow as well. <laughs> I was just going to ask, was it just cold, or did you guys get a bunch of snow? I know everyone else was getting dumped on. Yeah, snow. it was a, it was a couple inches, like nothing too major, but like definitely st- stayed on the ground. It'll probably all be gone by tomorrow. Now that we're in the fifties, which I'm I'm totally okay with, but it just doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> Were you offered tickets to that Bears game? Uh, the Bears-Bills game? Yeah. Um, like months and months ago. And as it got closer, I just had no desire. And then as it got really closer, I had already bailed on that. <laughs> I think they were going for like $9. Honestly, 9 seems like a stretch. I was watching the Browns game, too. Yeah. Basically the same thing as the Bears. I think it was minus 37, Winchell. If you went to that game, either one of those games. You, you should be checked into an insane <laughs> asylum. You are clinical. Yeah, you need to take a long, hard look at yourself in the mirror and <laughs> reevaluate your values. Who are the and your Browns priorities. playing again? The Saints. Okay, yeah. So then both of those teams suck. So well, yeah. like, I don't actually understand that. At least like Bills fans are nuts, and some of them just went there. But yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and they've got something to play for. The Browns and the Bears Saints fans. Do not- yeah, nothing. <laughs> um. All right, anyways, uh, back to the program here. We didn't really spend too much time on 
this upcoming game during our last episode with Kevin Sinclair and Pete Sampson, which, by the way, you should go check it out if you haven't already. It was our 100th episode of the show. But we're going to do a deep dive into this matchup on this episode as we're now just a couple of days away from the last game of the season. But before we get into that, we've got to talk about the Sam Hartman news, I guess, speculation. I don't even know what the proper term is to call it right now. But it is all anybody has been talking about around the Notre Dame football program for the past couple of days, ever since Pete Thamel reported that the former Wake Forest quarterback was going to enter the transfer portal and that Notre Dame is considered the strong favorite, wink, wink, to land the uh, coveted quarterback. We'll get to all that here in a second, but first, please like the video below and subscribe to our channel if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're tuning into the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe there as well if you haven't already. So here's a quick word from Roback, and when we come back, we're going to tell you why Sam Hartman could be the guy to lead the Irish back to the college football playoff. Shop game-changing activewear with Roback. For those who crave activity, use the promo code SUNSND to get 20% off your next order in the entire store at Roback.com. Roback's been an awesome partner for us all season. They recently gifted us a sweatshirt, a couple quarter zips, and the Shamrock pullout, which was really sick, and, and I can't recommend it more. Um, and I would really recommend to all of our listeners to check out their apparel, again, at Roback.com. The promo code you can use to get 20% off your next order is SUNSND at Roback, R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. Okay, so to catch everyone up here, uh, Notre Dame has made it pretty public since the end of the regular season that they were in the market for a QB in the transfer portal. We heard guys like Devin Leary, Hudson Card, Michael Pratt, and now Sam Hartman were all sort of the rumor targets. The first three guys I just mentioned have either A, chosen their next destination, or in the case of Michael Pratt, decided to stay at Tulane. Sam Hartman wasn't even in the portal at the time of all this discussion. Then last Friday morning, Cam Lemons from 24-7 Sports reported that Hartman would not declare for the NFL draft and instead go into the transfer portal, and he said Notre Dame was the likely landing spot amongst many suitors. That same night, Sam Hartman would go on to set the ACC record for career touchdown passes while leading Wake Forest to a win over Missouri in the Gasparilla Bowl. And then on Monday morning, Pete Thamel of ESPN officially broke the news that Sam Hartman was entering the portal and that Notre Dame was the expected landing spot for him. Nothing is official yet at the time of this recording, and I feel pretty comfortable in saying nothing will be official until after the bowl game. But Luke, uh, we've talked about it a little bit offline the past couple of days. Now that you've had some time, how do you feel about the prospect of Sam Hartman suiting up in the blue and gold next year? It would certainly be welcome news. Um, any time you have the opportunity to enhance your roster, you take that. Personally, I also like the fact that um, – this would be a guy that was in college while I was in college because um, my senior year, I went down to Wake Forest and he started against Notre Dame as a true freshman on a day that was about 115 degrees in Winston-Salem. He actually got knocked out of that game. But the point remains, there was some overlap in our academic career. So I like that. It doesn't make me feel that old. At the same time, I'm somewhat of a Tyler Buckner believer still. Uh, I just sort of feel bad for him that through no fault of his own, he's likely not going to start next year. Um, and with that said, I wouldn't count out Tyler Buckner. Uh, I just wouldn't. And so that's something that I- I'm keeping in mind. That said, it is welcome news should it happen. Yeah, I'm not out on Tyler Buckner either. And I really hope that even if Hartman does decide to go to Notre Dame, makes it official and all that, I really hope that Tyler Buckner doesn't transfer one you know, selfishly as a Notre Dame fan, if you have Hartman and Buckner, the quarterback room is in a really good spot if that's your one and two. Because as we know, 
Injuries can happen to the starting quarterback, and you don't want your entire season to be derailed if that is the case like it was this past year for Notre Dame. I was super excited. I really don't know if there was a better option for Notre Dame in the portal or not in the portal technically, but just, I mean, there's not going to be a Caleb Williams in the transfer portal unless you're Lincoln Riley and you're leaving. So I don't really think Notre Dame could do better here. The fact that he has a ton of experience is awesome. Notre Dame has done well with senior quarterbacks. And uh, yeah, I just, I think it's really exciting. And maybe most of all, I think that if Hartman does come to Notre Dame, he would become the best passer to play at Notre Dame since Jimmy Clausen. Look, I love Ian Book. And I'm not ready to say that Hartman will be a better player for Notre Dame than Ian was at Notre Dame because he was the all-time wins leader, and he did lead Notre Dame to two college football playoff bursts. And I hate how Notre Dame fans still to this day decide to discredit what Book did. A big reason why Book was so good is because he ran the ball so well, and he was very elusive in the pocket, and he was able to create plays. But if you look purely at their passing ability— I don't really think it's a stretch to say that Hartman is kind of head and shoulders better. And if he comes in, it instantly changes the entire dynamic of the offense. And Notre Dame could have a truly elite offense for the first time in over a decade, maybe? Um, Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like 2019, actually, they put up a ton of points um, and averaged 30-something. 2015 was a very good offense, but I get what you're saying. Yes, the, the the point certainly is there. Yeah, I, I another thing about Hartman too is he's going to come into this situation. He's if he does come to Notre Dame, he'd be a non-degree seeking grad student. So he's basically just a uh, professional football player for all intents and purposes. And I do think it's kind of funny though how it seems like it's all but official. Yet the entire Notre Dame fan base is kind of scared shitless, and I think that's mostly because of the Peyton Bowen thing. Like, how worried are you that this doesn't get across the finish line? Um, I mean, the only reason I'm worried is just because I've seen too many people tweeting about it for too long. And um, I do happen to believe that um, we are fucking cursed. So, um, so <laughs> wait, like yes, you and the, I are the fan base, uh, you and I, but <laughs> I guess also the fan base. I think it might be more you and I, it, it is kind of. Like when the news broke, we obviously were texting about it in in a group thread with some other big Notre Dame fans. And I think one of our buddies instantly said, we're going to be busted with tampering. It's That was me. Oh, that was you? Okay. Well, I think he definitely supported that. I was like, guys, it's our first bit of good news in a month. Like we've got to enjoy the wins when we can get them. Yeah, but that is another concern of mine, just that that could somehow come about. Um, Anyways... Assuming that this all does go to plan, it definitely puts Notre Dame in a position where they will have a very good shot to run the table next year, make the college football playoff again. I think regardless who the quarterback is, this offense is going to have some explosive young receivers, loaded backfield, and and probably the best offensive line in the country. You factor in Sam Hartman here, and I think you're, like you said, going to see a really, really elite offense. And it's really exciting to think about what Hartman could do with an offensive line and running game as solid as Notre Dame will likely have next season with the loaded backfield that you just mentioned. But there is an opportunity for Hartman to prove himself and also another opportunity for Tommy Reese and the Notre Dame offensive coaching staff to really prove themselves too. Because like I was saying, Notre Dame hasn't had an elite offense. You and I are obviously big Tommy Reese believers, defenders, whatever you want to call it. We've we've been sort of by his side and and we think really highly of him. But 
when you look at it statistically and just when we watch the games of the past few seasons, Notre Dame hasn't consistently put out dominant offensive performances over the past few years, and I think that could all change when you add in a guy like Hartman. And you're right. When you look at the schedule, yes, it's tough. You got Ohio State again. You got Clemson again. USC is going to be probably better than they were this past year. And in order to beat those teams, you're going to need a really dynamic quarterback. And now, even though you and I both believe in Tyler Buckner and think that he has the goods to be a really good college football quarterback, we haven't seen it. That's just the fact of the matter, and unfortunately he has this injury history now. But with Hartman, we've seen it. I know it wasn't at Notre Dame, but he's the ACC career leader in passing touchdowns. That, that's an insane stat. He passed Taj Boyd. So I think that's what I'm most excited about, and this is really just such an intriguing partnership for both sides because it's not like one side is way better than the other. It's, it's a really a great opportunity for Notre Dame and Hartman to prove themselves among the elites in college football. It absolutely is. And right. I think that's probably why, you know, should it happen? That is why Sam Hartman would take that opportunity just because he hasn't been in that position um, to really compete for a college football playoff. Um, They did make one ACC title game during his five-year run at Wake, but like, come on, they were never real true playoff contenders. And there's probably more opportunity. Not probably. There is more opportunity for him to make more as a, college quarterback than there is at, at as an NFL, you know, undrafted or six round pick in his first year. Uh, um, this gives him the opportunity to potentially, you know, move his stock up as well. But I, I think like it, it makes sense why he would want to come back for yet another sixth year. Although I, I would be very curious to know how many people in the world um, after going to college for five years have decided that they want to spend a sixth year in college in northern Indiana. Um, I, I That's got to be a small sample size. I got to imagine he's the first. He's going to be 24 years old to start. Well, Stetson Bennett's 25, right? He's my age, which is just pathetic. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. He well, who's, having, who's having more fun at their age, Stetson Bennett or you? Uh, probably me, honestly. <laughs> um, also, Well, there's also that North Texas guy who's hitting the portal who's 29, and he's going to be 30 next season, which is ridiculous as well. Um, but, okay, there are, you know, outside of the tampering thing, which we kind of joked about, but I'm also like – I'm always considering things like that just because Notre Dame does seem to get hit by these weird NCAA things all the time. But I think there's a – Just a quick interjection. Is, is, is it tampering if the player reaches out? It doesn't. It doesn't matter. I'm not actually like. I don't have any evidence of this. I I don't know that you can interact with them though. Like I, I just don't. Yeah. You're I don't. Just assuming I, the worst. Yes. Um. There are some actual concerns I have. Um. He's kind of Hartman has kind of just had a few games, especially in big games where he just kind of shits the bed. Um. The Louisville game this year comes to mind. Just played horribly. Um, through a bunch of picks. So does the ACC championship from the year before. I think he had three picks in that one. And the other thing is that he's coming from a really gimmicky offense. The slow mesh is just a super gimmicky offense. And I will say that pretty much everyone that's played in it has largely been successful. I mean, obviously Hartman experienced the most success. John Wolford leveraged his success at Wake into becoming an NFL draft pick. And hell, even Jamie Newman succeeded in that offense. And he was able to leverage his success at Wake into a transfer to Georgia. And remember, he was going to be like the number one overall pick going into that season. Then he never actually played at Georgia. He opted out of the COVID year. He's in the Canadian League now. But 
the point is he was pretty successful in that slow mesh and actually started um, over Sam Hartman, what would have been Sam Hartman's sophomore year at Wake. So I'm just kind of curious to know what he's going to look like in a more traditional offense. Yeah, and that's the reason why he has to stay in college, basically. You know, he went through the process to be evaluated by the NFL scouts, and by all accounts, the reports he got back were not all that flattering. And he made it pretty clear throughout the season that he wanted to go to the NFL draft after the season. He did not want to return. And, you know, things change, circumstances change. And then I think once he got the feedback from the NFL that he either would be a very late round pick or might not even be drafted at all. Once he heard that, then I think he realized he had to reevaluate and look at his options. And that's where Notre Dame comes in and a time of Reese offense is kind of perfect for him because Notre Dame does run mostly a pro style offense I do understand your concerns about uh, the offense that he was running at Wake Forest, but still, when you watch him, I feel like he's just too talented that he's, it's not like he's just throwing to wide open guys every play. He's making plays. He's avoiding guys in the pocket. He can run a little bit, but I hear you on the interceptions. That's probably my biggest concern. He throws a ton and I know he's played in a ton of games, but he's thrown for 41 interceptions in his career. That's a lot. He threw another one in the Gasparilla Bowl and like, it's just it's in, in stark contrast to what Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman have said is such a high priority for the quarterback at Notre Dame, and that is to protect the football. I mean, how often have we heard Freeman or Reese say in a press conference, like, what are you looking for in the quarterback? Well, they have to protect the football. And they're not necessarily in, like, the Jim Trestle conservative territory where they don't want the quarterback to take any risk whatsoever. But 41 picks in the course of a career, that's a lot of interceptions, man, including 12 in this past season. That's... It's a concern. I think it's a fair one to have. Yeah, I would wonder if Notre Dame, like how many years it would take if to look at Notre Dame quarterbacks to get to 41 picks total over the last decade, honestly, because um, they have not had a guy, guys throw a ton of picks. I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I would be curious. Now, I guess if we wanted to play the counter arguments that you could say, well, he was throwing it a million times a game, plus there's a lot of situations where Wake Forest was behind. He probably tried to force it. So, you know, you look at, the 12 picks from this past season, I'm sure if we broke it down, every single one, maybe not all of them were his fault, but it's still something. Another thing, and this is unfortunate, but it, it has to be addressed in some capacity. Hartman had a very serious medical problem that nearly derailed this past season. I mean, he missed a good chunk of fall camp prior to this past season at Wake Forest with a blood clot issue in his arm. The early reports on it were really scary. They didn't know if he was going to come back at all. He was going to be out indefinitely. Fortunately for him in the in Wake Forest, I think he only missed his first game, and it didn't seem to be a factor for the rest of the season. But, I mean, you and I aren't doctors, but when you hear things like that, it's, it's a concern, and I, I think it's something that's going to be followed and monitored closely by the Notre Dame training staff and stuff like that. But basically what we're saying is we're all, we're all very excited about Hartman and the potential partnership here, but it doesn't come without its caveats. Yeah, there's always risk. Um, but, you know, you just got to take that for what it is. And, and you know, I think the good will outweigh the, the risks here. But, yeah, there are certainly risks. Yeah, I think, you know, despite all of what we've been saying the past couple of minutes here, we're both very excited about this. And, uh, yeah, I think it'll be really exciting. Hopefully we'll hear something official in the coming weeks. And, obviously, once we get that news, we'll talk about it here on this podcast. But you ready to talk about the Gator Bowl? We, sure. We've avoided it long enough. So like I was saying earlier, game Friday, Notre Dame is currently favored by two and a half over under is 51. Um, let's let's get the opt-outs out of the way because 
you know, when we talk about bowl games now, that's that's always a topic. So Notre Dame, obviously, without Michael Mayer, Isaiah Foskey. Andrew Pine. Andrew Pine. <laughs> They're two best players and the starting quarterback. So three key positions there. South Carolina has a ton, especially in offense. They got six starters on offense. Now, granted, not all opt-outs. Their wide receiver, Jalen Brooks, his status is unknown, but they're without Marshawn Lloyd, who's their leading rusher, and uh, they're basically down to one tight end. Their right tackle is left, and then on defense, they're without four starters, including their two best defenders. So there's a lot of guys missing in this one, but Spencer Radler, their starting quarterback, is playing, which honestly kind of shocked me, considering how many other guys left. But as for this game, how would you describe your excitement level? I'm excited to watch the game, but I can't say I'm super excited about the game itself, if that makes any sense. Um, like, it'll be nice to have it on and see Notre Dame playing. But also, it feels like a really long time ago, that USC game, even though it's not. It's only like three or four weeks ago. Um, it For whatever reason, like, I think when that happened, I just kind of accepted the season was over, like over in finality, not just like, you know, I'm done with this. So it's almost weird to me that we have another game. Um, but I am looking forward to watching it. I just don't really know what to expect. Yeah, I think maybe the thing I'm most excited about in this game is so that Notre Dame can end the season on a high note because that that loss to USC, uh, it sucked. And I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to watch Notre Dame play again. We only get 13 of these a year. And even though during the season, sometimes we might take it for granted just because it's on every weekend and when you're playing games against UNLV on Peacock, it's not always that invigorating. But I think this will be really fun. Plus, I got the in-house rivalry. Uh, mm. My sister graduated from South Carolina in 2021, although I don't think she could name three players on the roster today. So I don't know how much her and I will be trash talking. But I do have some other friends who went there randomly. It's a big spot for people from Louisville to go to college. Never really understood that part because it's still like eight hours away. But I've been there a couple times. I was there for the South Carolina-Kentucky game my senior year of college. That was a really fun time. Do you have any strong opinions on South Carolina? No. I've been down there um, maybe once or twice. Just like I think we were down in South Carolina and just walked around the campus and like their baseball stadium because that was in South Carolina. was kind of like the cream of the crop in college baseball back like 10 years ago um but no i don't i i I have like a family friend who went there um actually my cousin is a freshman there as well i forgot about that so um his dad like does not really follow college football but i actually have gotten a couple texts talking about this game now out of nowhere so i was shocked by that um but i forgot yeah so i guess i Someone have some family ties there myself, but I personally, I don't really have any thoughts on South Carolina. I went down there. It was a cool campus. Um, that's kind of it. Have you been there since you were in college? No. I, okay. I was like in high school then, I want to say. So I, I never went down in college. I was going to say, those kids love to party. It's unlike any other SEC school. I mean, they certainly like to get after it there. And it was a really fun time. When I was there, that was hotter than hell. And it's also so humid. It was like a September game. Dude, I think actually, now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure an old woman died at the game. Yeah, that'll happen. That, <laughs> I guess so, at, at South Carolina games. I think it was so hot that a woman died of heat stroke. I'm going to have to look that up after this, but I'm pretty sure that happened there that weekend. Anyway, the opportunity to get a win over an SEC team is always exciting, even if South Carolina isn't the cream of the crop of the SEC, to say the least. So I am, I'm really looking forward to that that aspect of the game. 
But as for the matchup on the field, the Tyler Buckner storyline is is obviously going to dominate the storyline in this one and and the coverage. And so, so what are your expectations for TB12 in his first game back? I don't think he's going to come out and light the world on fire, but I do expect him to play well. Um, I also expect Notre Dame to pound the ball against the South Carolina run defense. That's been really suspect. That's probably a nice way of saying that. Um, I'm curious to see what Buckner's own running package looks like. I think some of us have doubts on how healthy he may actually be. So I'm curious to to see if Notre Dame tries to protect him or leans into his legs at all. Um, Like I said, I do think he'll play well, but I I wouldn't expect this to be, you know, CJ Stroud in the Rose Bowl last year. I think that's fair. What do you like if you had to put an over under on his attempts through the air? What do you think it's at? Um, 25, maybe. Wow. You think he's still on 25? I, I think, I, I think they should like, though I said, I think they should run it. I think that they should have him throw a bunch just to see if he can do it in this game. Right. So I don't know. I would be kind of surprised if he, if he threw over 22, I would guess 20, it could be, I would guess 20 attempts just because they're going to try to run it. This South Carolina rush defense is really poor, to say the least. And that's with their starting DN, Zach Pickens, who's not playing in this one. They also are Gilbert Edmond, another guy in the defensive line who won't be playing here or playing this weekend. They are in the bottom 20 and pretty much every stat you look at in terms of rush defense, yards per carry, all that. And it, it's just been a real, a real problem for them all season. So if you're Notre Dame, on one hand, you don't really have to air it out but you also kind of want to see what Buckner can give you, like you were just saying. I don't think they're going to run him much at all. I think they learned yeah. a lesson after after that Marshall game when he. But it's kind of crazy to think about at the beginning of the season he was there. He was their entire rushing attack for the first two games. So if I had to guess here, I, I would say that two hundred yards through the air, he picks up a couple first downs on the ground, maybe gets a touchdown in the red zone on the ground, and no interceptions. I think that'd be a, a pretty quality start given the circumstances. Yeah, I would definitely take that. Do you think we'll see Angeli at all in this one? You know, a couple weeks ago, I think I would have said yes, but I'm not so sure I feel that way now. Um, it could just be Buckner's game. Um, I don't. So I don't. I, I can't say I have strong feelings or, or thoughts on that either way. Um, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say we'll see him, but I I don't I don't know if it's gonna be for an extended period of time. Yeah, I just have this feeling that there's going to be a package for him, maybe a couple passing plays just to get him some reps. But I don't know. I, I could totally see a case where they don't play him at all. But it's also the beginning, or it's, I guess, the beginning of the end of the Michael Mayer era. And for, there were several points during the season where he was the entire offense for Notre Dame. So how do you think the offense will look without him? Obviously, it'll be worse. However, without Drew Pine only staring at Mayer, we could see some receivers finally get some targets their way. Because it's not like they weren't open all the time when Drew Pine was playing quarterback. So, yeah, it's going to be worse. But I'm interested to see if we can actually spread the ball around a little bit more to some of these receivers. I honestly think it's going to look pretty much the same on first and second down. Because they're Mm -hmm. probably just going to run it every time, like I was just saying. But on third down, that's where it gets interesting. Because that's uh, Michael Mayer was third down pretty much every single time for Notre Dame. And Drew Pine, like you just mentioned, he'd stare him down from the moment he took the ball. And we've been very hard on the receivers, I would say, deservedly so. But through the second half of the season, guys like Deion Colsey, Jane Thomas have made some significant strides. 
And I'd love to see Colsey continue his ascension that we've seen throughout the second half of the year because he might be the new third down guy. Hell, every single catch he's made has been in some crucial spot or made that great touchdown catch against USC. So on one hand, yes, it sucks. Obviously, you want to have Michael Mayer. He's the best player on the team. He's the MVP leader, all that stuff. But it is, it's, this is an opportunity for other guys like Holden Stays, even Mitchell Evans, because I, I was kind of surprised by this. Mitchell Evans doesn't even have a target. Really? Huh. Yeah. So it'd be great to see all these other tight ends who've been playing behind him and blocking actually get a chance because, I mean, hell, we have no idea how good they are. Michael Mayer stole reps from Brock Wright when Brock Wright was a senior and Mayer was a true freshman. Now Wright scoring touchdowns for the Lions. So yeah. he's sort of completely dominated that position for the past three seasons. Now we get a chance to see these other guys and see what they're made of. Yeah, that that just randomly reminded me that Cole Komet initially said he was going to come back for the 2020 season um, and then didn't. But imagine if they had a team with Mayer, Wright, Komet, and Tommy Trimble as your four tight ends. They would literally run the four tight end set every play. Yeah, yeah. That, that's just wild to think about, but wow. On the other side of the ball, Notre Dame is without Isaiah Foskey, and South Carolina is coming in red hot into this matchup. We mentioned the opt-outs, but the most important player, Spencer Rather, their quarterback, has kind of saved his season, and you could honestly make the case that he sort of saved his career with his last two performances, big wins over Tennessee and then Clemson, and he has lit it up. And say what you want about him and how his career has turned out, but he's looked really, really good. So are you concerned at all with how Notre Dame is going to be able to defend that passing attack without their starting cornerback, Cam Hart, and without their best pass rusher in Isaiah Foskey? It's a good question. I'm still not really sure how that Tennessee game happened the way it did. I watched that, and it was kind of just like an out-of-body experience for South Carolina. Like I don't think that would ever happen again in a million years. Um, But Obviously, it would be nice to have Cam Hart for this one. Instead, Tariq Bracey, who will be back after missing the USC game, is moving from nickel to corner. Um, I expect Notre Dame to play well defensively. It could be one of those things where Rattler continues his late-season role, but as you talked about earlier, they're down a lot of weapons. Is Most notably, Jaheim Bell, who's kind of their switchblade, do-everything, running back slash tight end. Um, so... I think it's going to be a struggle for him just not having all his guys. Just knowing what we know about Spencer Rattler, too, I'm shocked he's playing in this game because anybody who's followed him since QB1 just knows he's kind of an arrogant son of a bitch. Um, So I don't – like, I'm shocked that he's playing in this game, but he actually came out and said he he owed it to Shane Beamer. So maybe he finally has done some growing up, but that shocked me. Yeah, I was certainly surprised by that as well. But they also have two squells who led up Tennessee and Clemson as well. So he he's one really strong target for Radler. And I just, I can't get the abuse that was uh, what USC did to Jaden Mickey out of my head. Now I know Tariq Bracey is back and I think he's actually not going to play nickel. They're going to put him out wide and he's going to play corner. Um, thank God, <laughs> because that means M- Mickey will be, less on an island than he was against USC. And Notre Dame's pass defense has been pretty solid all year. Now, granted, they do have Brandon Joseph. He will be playing. Another one that kind of surprised me, honestly, because it seemed like he might not play either. But Notre Dame's defensive line is dealing with some injuries as well. Jason Adamiola is dealing with something. Um, I think he's expected to play mm-hmm. without Foskey. I don't know. 
Um, this could be a great opportunity for Justin Adebayola to step up because if he does return for a six-year next season, he will be the starting Viper. This is a, you know, increased role, increased priority for him. So we'll see. But I don't know. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit nervous about how Notre Dame's defense will be able to compete just because I just have PTSD from what Caleb Williams did. Now, rather, it's not Caleb Williams. But still, um, as for the special teams, this this might be the most important element of the game because both of these teams have top five special teams units in the country. South Carolina kind of is the clear number one. So how do you think or do you think that this uh, the special teams will make a big impact on the outcome? I actually don't because I think it'll be a non-factor because both teams are so good at it and so disciplined. Um, so weirdly enough, I think that'll wipe out its impact on the game just because you'll see things go as they should. Yeah. I would say I agree with that to an extent, although if it gets down to a situation where both teams start trading field goals, like they aren't able to punch it in in the red zone, Mitch Jeter, their kicker, is better than Blake Rupi, and that would concern me. But I think, I don't know, Notre Dame's special teams and their special teams, I have a feeling they're going to throw in some crazy new wrinkles, some stuff we haven't seen, but it is a, it's, it's funny to think that we're going into a game where I'm honestly more excited to see special teams play than maybe any other unit on the field. That is kind of wild. Yeah. I don't know that I share that sentiment, but yes, <laughs> it's certainly going to be exciting every time something happens. And, you know, all season long, I think I've been predicting uh, or maybe just hoping for a Chris Tyree kickoff return for a touchdown. This could be his last game in Notre Dame uniform. So I'm not going to call that this week. Their kickoff coverage unit is really strong. But that's how we feel. We've covered all three phases of the game now. Are you ready to do some score predictions? Yeah. Um, I think Notre Dame wins this one pretty handily. I think it's 34-20 to 20, Notre Dame. Um, just because South Carolina is missing so much. I think, like I said, while I don't expect Tyler Buckner to light the world on fire, I do expect him to play with a bit of a chip on his shoulder, especially as this Hartman stuff is kind of buzzing around. So I think he'll play well, and, and he'll be motivated to, to lead Notre Dame to a victory in his first action in a couple months. Um, and I, this could be kind of a boring game, to be totally honest with you, but the only reason I'm saying that is just because it, it just feels like kind of, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but just like zapped of energy. There just isn't a lot of buzz around this. Maybe there is from the South Carolina side of things, but uh, I don't feel like there is from Notre Dame side of things. Yeah, I don't know about South Carolina, just given all the opt-outs they have. But then again, the opportunity to play Notre Dame in a bowl game, fans are definitely going to turn out for that one, and I'm sure there's going to be And it's fun. closer. Yeah, there's going to be plenty of South Carolina like, fans. Who the hell wants to go to Jacksonville? I'm Not me. Uh, <laughs> it's probably the worst place in Florida, and that's a terrible state. <laughs> Worse than Tallahassee? Ooh, Tallahassee is a special kind of hell. Um, so I, I don't. Tallahassee deserves its own distinction there, but I think it, they're probably they're not too they're not too different. Outside of the COVID season, is this the least amount of games you've attended since? I don't even know. Pre you going to Notre Dame? Yeah, I mean honestly, I went to five in the COVID year. I only went to seven this year, so that's like pretty much the same amount. Yeah, that's. <laughs> That's a little bit jarring. Grand Notre Dame was undefeated that year, so a little bit more to be excited for. Um, I'm picking Notre Dame 27-17. I just have a feeling it might take a little bit for Notre Dame's offense to get going. I think they're going to be able to run the ball at will, but it's just hard for me to expect Tyler Buckner, who hasn't played since week two, is going to come out and he's going to be able to deal and convert on third downs, especially without Michael Mayer. It'll kind of be a slow start for Notre Dame. They'll eventually be able to get it going. 
they'll probably give up a big pass play or two through the air to rather like he's going to get his in a couple of these plays. He's just been playing too well uh, of late for me to think that Notre Dame is going to shut their passing game down, especially without Cam Hart. But I feel pretty good about a 27-17 win because A, that hit the cover, and also B, it would be, this isn't like the high-quality bowl win that Notre Dame or Notre Dame haters constantly bring up that Notre Dame hasn't had a big bowl win in a while. But it'd certainly be something, especially after the way that last season ended. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you always want to win, right? Um, I, I don't know that it moves the needle a whole lot, but ending the year with nine wins, I think, would be significant enough, um, especially when you consider that this team lost to freaking Marshall and Stanford. So um, on that note. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, for Luke and myself, this will be our last game preview of the 2022 season. Please give us a follow on Twitter. Instagram and Facebook at Sunset Irish. And please like the video, subscribe, all that jazz. Um, And we will be back once this game is over and we'll wrap up the 2022 season for the Fighting Irish. We'll talk to you soon.